Welcome to the Dhamma Podcast. The audio recording that follows was recorded during Essen Goenka's tour of North America in 2002, known as the Meditation Now Tour. This podcast will be updated monthly, with additional archives from Essen Goenka's talks and questions and answer sessions, as well as other speakers discussing aspects of Vipassana meditation as taught by Essen Goenka. This podcast is sponsored by Pariyati, a nonprofit publisher that offers written, audio, and video content and whose mission is to enrich the world by disseminating the words of the Buddha, providing sustenance for the seeker's journey, and illuminating the meditator's path. For more information regarding Pariyati, please go to www.pariyati.org. That is www.pariyati.org. For more information on Vipassana meditation as taught by S. Goenka, including a schedule of courses offered throughout the world, please see www.dhamma.org. That is www.dhamma.org. Friends, we have all assembled here this evening to understand what is Vipassana, the teaching of the enlightened one, the Buddha. Vipassana is spirituality, applied spirituality, practical spirituality. And this is what the Buddha taught, nothing else. He was not interested in anything else. He was not interested to establish a religion. He taught a way of life, code of conduct, how to live, how to live peacefully and harmoniously, good for oneself and good for others. And this is spirituality. Spirituality wants us to live a moral life with disciplined mind, pure mind, full of love, compassion, goodwill, tolerance. These are the teachings of every religion worth the name. Buddha also taught the same thing, but he gave emphasis on the practical aspect of it. Merely giving sermons and listening to sermons are good. They give us inspiration, they give us guidance, but the actual benefit we attain only by practicing spirituality in our life. His teaching is, abstain from all sinful actions.
And what is a sinful action? Any action, physical or vocal, which harms and hurts other beings is a sinful action, which disturbs the peace and harmony of other beings is a sinful action. So the first step of his teaching is abstain from any action, vocal or physical, which will harm others. But how can you abstain? At the intellectual level, everyone understands that I should not perform any sinful action. But unless one has mastery over the mind, unless one has control over one's mind, one cannot abstain. Time and again, due to one reason or the other, one keeps on committing such unwholesome actions which harm others. So the second step, develop mastery over your mind. Don't become slave of your mind. Become master of your mind. And that alone will not have helpfully to some extent. It is good. It is necessary. But then, as a super scientist, he made deep study of the interaction of mind and matter what is happening deep inside and he realized that unless we change the behavior pattern of our mind at the root level in spite of control over the mind time and again because of this unwholesome behavior pattern a volcanic eruption will come and you lose all your control and you do things which you should not have done you don't you don't do things which you should do, should have done so there must be a change in the behavior pattern of the mind at the root level that means purification of the totality of the mind this teaching abstain from unwholesome actions, perform wholesome actions, purify the mind, was not something new that Buddha taught. Many teachers before Buddha had been teaching the same. Many teachers at the time of Buddha also were teaching the same. Yet, there was some speciality in the teaching of Buddha. He gave a practical way how to actually practice it in life. At the intellectual level, one understands very well. At the devotional level also, one understands very well and accepts very well. This is the teaching of the founder of my religion. I should not perform sinful actions understandable. 
but it takes us to the depth where the sinful action starts, where the impurity of the mind starts. And he gave a technique which is called Vipassana, by which each and everyone can go to that depth and experience the truth. And when you experience the truth, then it becomes easy for you not to perform unwholesome actions. Why? He teaches the technique by which you not only concentrate your mind, you make the mind so sharp, so subtle, so sensitive, that it starts feeling different physical sensations on the body. And then it becomes easy. One starts understanding that whenever I perform any sinful action, I am the first victim. I start harming myself. Not because Buddha said so, not because your teacher says so, not because your scripture says so, with your own experience. You can't kill anybody without generating tremendous amount of anger, hatred, ill will, animosity. And the technique that he gave, one starts feeling sensations on the body. As soon as you generate any negative emotion in your mind, there is so much of burning in the body. The whole body starts burning up. Strong palpitation, tension, one starts feeling miserable. Then the words of Buddha become so clear. Pubbe hanati attanang pacha hanati sopare. First you harm yourself and then only you harm others. You can't harm anybody without first harming yourself. You can't kill anybody without first going through this misery of burning, tension, unhappiness. Similarly, one steals something belonging to somebody else. You can't steal unless you generate tremendous amount of greed. And with Vipassana, going at the depth of the mind, experiencing the peace and harmony at the depth, one immediately understands, look, by generating greed, I have lost the balance of my mind. I have lost the peace of my mind. I have lost the harmony of my mind. What I am doing? Before harming anybody else, you steal something belonging to somebody, certainly this person will get harmed. But before harming, before harming anybody, you started harming yourself. This becomes so clear at the experiential level. Somebody commits sexual misconduct. Not possible. Unless one generates tremendous amount of lust, passion, again, at the depth of the mind. 
the equanimity of the mind is lost, the balance of the mind is lost, the peace of the mind is lost, one starts suffering. One suffers before any unwholesome action one performs. One speaks lies, try to deceive others. Or one speaks such words which will hurt others, harm others, harsh words. Again one sees there is some impurity or the other which has arisen in the mind and then only such unwholesome vocal action is performed. Again one starts harming oneself before harming anybody else. One gets intoxicated. A good meditator will understand, look, I am becoming slave of this intoxicant. I am not my master. I become slave. And under the influence of that intoxicant, one performs all the unwholesome actions which one usually would not have performed. We are giving courses, Vipassana courses, in many prisons around the world, more in India and also outside. And we have found that the majority of the crimes committed are under the influence of alcohol or drug. If you abstain from these five, you live a spiritual life. This is spiritual life. You don't harm anybody. And he gave the next step of concentrating the mind. Now the entire teaching of the enlightened one is universal. Spirituality is universal. Spirituality is not tied to one particular religion, not monopolized by any particular religion. So the teaching of the enlightened one is not for a particular sect, not for a particular community, it is for all. So every step given by an enlightened person is a step which can be taken by anyone belonging to any community, any tradition, any religion, any gender, any color, makes no difference. Human being is human being. So to concentrate the mind, you require some object or the other. There are many objects with the help of which one can train the mind to get concentrated. He gave this wonderful object, our own respiration. Train your mind to remain aware of the breath, incoming breath, outgoing breath, natural breath, normal breath. Don't make it a breathing exercise. Don't try to control the breath. The technique is to develop the faculty of awareness of the truth that you are experiencing, the truth pertaining to yourself, the truth pertaining to the mind and matter. Breath 
it is always there from the time one has taken birth till the time one passes away one keeps on breathing in breathing out breathing in breathing out so the object of awareness is always with you asleep or awakened sitting or standing lying or walking eating or drinking in every position in every posture one keeps on breathing in breathing out so the object of awareness is always with you now you train your mind just remain aware of the breath coming in going out just the breath mere breath bare breath don't add anything else no verbalization it prohibits no verbalization for two reasons one is most of the time when you have verbalization the word the mantra that you use is connected with a particular sect particular community then the technique does not remain universal it becomes sectarian another difficulty when you start reciting particular word again and again you forget all about the breath that word becomes more important your mind gets concentrated yes but mere concentration of the mind is not the goal you have to go much deeper so only breath nothing but breath breath is universal you can't give any label to the breath now this breath is a hindu breath or a buddhist breath or a christian breath or jewish breath breath is breath everybody who breathes can feel the breath the breath coming in the breath going out of course it looks very easy you are just observing the flow of the respiration it is not a breathing exercise you don't try to control the breath so easy like you sitting you are sitting at the bank of the river and the river is flowing you do nothing for the flow of the river natural flow sitting at the bank you are just observing if it is fast it is fast if it is slow it is slow whatever it is you are just observing so this flow of respiration keeping your attention at the entrance of the nostrils you just keep on observing keep on feeling the breath the flow of the breath natural normal flow of the breath so easy but not easy whenever you decide to take a 10 day course of vipassana the first day itself you will find it so difficult you will observe hardly a couple of breaths and the mind is gone somewhere somewhere in the past or somewhere in the future and then suddenly you realize i was here to observe my breath what am i doing and again you start observing the breath again the mind wanders away first day very difficult day sometimes a new student gets frustrated irritated what kind of mind i am carrying such a simple job just to observe do nothing and yet it cannot do then the guide will say no don't generate anger anger is anger it requires only one letter d it becomes danger anger 
you are here to come out of this negativity and you are generating ne negativity. Negativity towards yourself or negativity towards anybody else makes no difference. You are a miserable person. Don't generate anger. Just accept the fact. You are observing the breath, observing the breath, mind wandered away. And as soon as you realize that the mind has wandered away, accept it. Oh, the mind has wandered away. So what? I start again. The breath is still there. I start again. Again the mind wanders away. And you realize, without disturbing the peace of your mind, you accept. Mind has wandered away. Like this you keep trying, keep trying. The second day little better, third day better. And as you are working with the object of the truth, no imagination is allowed, as no verbalization is allowed, no imagination is allowed, no visualization is allowed, no philosophical speculation is allowed, no suggestions are allowed, auto-suggestion or outer-suggestion. You just accept the reality as it is, reality to pertaining to yourself, pertaining to the interaction of mind and matter. The entire process, every step that you take, is the step of truth realization, self realization, realization of the truth pertaining to yourself, within yourself, by yourself, at the experiential level. So when you start work, this is the truth which is manifesting itself. The breath coming in, the breath going out. And it is not merely a physical function. Mind has something to do with it. It is strongly related to mind also, which as you proceed on the path, it becomes clearer and clearer. Say you are observing your breath, and the mind has started wandering in the past, some memory of the past, maybe unpleasant memory of the past, or in the future, some apprehension of the future, some fear of the future, and you start generating a negativity. You will notice as soon as you generate any negativity, the breath loses its normality. It is no more normal. It becomes slightly hard, slightly fast. And when that negativity is gone, again, the breath becomes normal. Oh, so it becomes very clear. The breath is a physical activity, yes. But at the same time, it is very strongly related to mind, very strongly related to mental impurities. So every action, every step that you are taking is to understand the interaction of mind and matter. Every step is to take you to the depth of the mind where impurity starts and where it starts multiplying, multiplying and then it overpowers you. And although at the intellectual level you know I should not perform this action and yet you perform action. Although intellectual level and devotional level you accept I should perform such kind of action and yet you can't perform because you are overpowered. So you have to go to the depth of the mind. Observing the breath, observing the breath, small area, the truth, small area, awareness of the truth, for as long a period continuously as possible, maybe just a few minutes, doesn't matter. And you will notice the breath is becoming subtler and subtler. 
the breath is becoming finer and finer. The breath is becoming shorter and shorter. Like a thin thread, so short as it comes out, makes a U-turn, starts going in. Sometimes one cannot feel. One has to be very alert to feel what kind of breath it is. And as the object becomes subtler and subtler, the mind also becomes subtler and subtler to feel that object. Becomes more and more sensitive. So by the time you finish the third day, you start experiencing some more subtler reality. Again reality pertaining to the mind and matter, nothing else. No discussions, no question of rolling in philosophical belief, this belief or that belief. The truth, as a scientist, you are just understanding the truth about mind and matter. So by the time you reach the third day or finish the third day, you start feeling some sensation or the other in this area. You've been working on a small area. You try to keep your attention here. It wanders, you bring it back. It wanders, you bring it back. And now you start feeling some sensation, some biochemical reaction or the other, some electromagnetic reaction or the other, which is there all the time throughout the body, on every part of the body, on every particle of the body. Mind is not sensitive enough to feel. So he gave a technique that working for three days continuously, continuously, trying continuously, continuously, you make the mind very sharp, very sensitive, and you start feeling some sensation or the other. Natural, normal, bodily, physical sensation. Nothing extraordinary, but things which you never experienced before. You did experience very gross, unpleasant sensations like pain, pressure, heaviness, numbness, etc. But there are so many different types of sensations. And you start experiencing different types of sensations here. Maybe heat, maybe perspiration, maybe throbbing, pulsing, vibrating, tingling, so many kinds of sensations. And you train your mind, just observe. Again, do nothing. As you do nothing with the flow of the breath, now here also do nothing. It is a choiceless observation. Whatever manifests itself on this part of the body, your job is to observe. Just observe and don't react. Just accept the reality as it is from moment to moment, from moment to moment. Don't make any effort to create a particular sensation. Again, you will go on the wrong path. Effortless observation. Naturally, whatever is happening, you are aware of it. You are aware of it. By the time you reach the fourth day, you feel sensations from the top of the head to the tips of the toe, everywhere throughout the body. Initially, a student may, may not feel sensations everywhere. Some parts may go blind, blank. But as you keep on repeating, repeating, patiently, persistently, very soon you reach the stage where you start feeling sensations throughout the body, every part of the body, every particle of the body, every atom of the body. Again, initially you feel very solidified, intensified, gross, unpleasant sensations. But as you keep on repeating, repeating, repeating to observe the reality as it is, 
not something that you want, not as you want it to be, but as it is, then the mind becomes sharper and sharper. You have to keep your mind very balanced. You are training your mind to remain equanimous with all kinds of sensations, pleasant, unpleasant, subtle, gross, whatever it is. Just observe, just observe. Easy to say, but again difficult because of the old habit pattern. Whenever you feel an unpleasant sensation, the tendency is that you react, react with aversion. Whenever you feel a pleasant sensation, the tendency is because of the old habit pattern, you react craving, clinging, craving, aversion, craving, aversion. This is the old habit pattern of the mind. And the whole technique is to come out of this habit pattern. The boundaries of craving, clinging, aversion, hatred. These sensations are very strongly related, again very strongly related to the mind and very strongly related to the habit pattern of the mind, habit pattern of craving, clinging, aversion, hatred. You are now training your mind to remain equanimous, equanimous. At times you do react because of the old habit, but then as at times the mind wandered and you bring, brought it back to the respiration, so also you lose the balance of your mind. You react. Suddenly you realize, no, I am here not to react. I must observe the reality as it is, as it is. And as you practice, as you practice, mind becomes more and more balanced. You don't lose the equanimity of your mind. You don't lose the equipoise of your mind. You don't lose the equilibrium of your mind. And you find the situation is so peaceful when you're not reacting and not reacting at the depth of the mind. The deepest part of the mind is constantly in contact with body sensations. This enlightened person discovered this reality that nothing can arise in the mind unless there is sensation in the body. Everything that arises in the mind arises with a sensation on the body. And you keep on reacting to these sensations. At the apparent level, one feels that I am reacting to outside objects. Some shape or form or color or light comes in contact with the eyes. A sound comes in contact with the ear. A smell comes in contact with the nose. A taste comes in contact with the tongue. Something tangible comes in contact with the body. Or some thought comes in contact with the mind. All these objects, apparently one feels I am reacting to them. I like them, I generate craving. I don't like them, I generate aversion. Yes, truth, but only apparent truth. And an enlightened person is not interested only in the apparent truth. This is also truth, you accept it. But go deeper, deeper. And it becomes so clear that as soon as any outside object comes in contact with the sense door, there is bound to be a sensation. If that sensation is pleasant, then you react with craving. If this sensation is unpleasant, then you react with aversion. This truth, universal truth, it happens the same thing with everybody. Again, you can't give any label. Whenever you generate anger, there is bound to be unpleasant sensation and you can't give label to the anger, Hindu anger, Muslim anger, Christian anger, anger is anger. And the misery that you feel because of that, again, you can't give any label. Misery is misery, universal. And there is a way out of it. Instead of reacting to all this, just observe. 
just observe. Keep your mind balanced. Maintain the purity of your mind. Purity of your mind. Live a moral life and for that control the mind. And then he says purify the mind. But he is not satisfied with the purification of the mind at the surface level only. That can be attained. If you just keep on observing the breath, mind calms down and you find very peace. Peace. And you find, yes, my mind is becoming pure. It is becoming pure at the surface level of the mind. At the deeper level, at the deepest level, at the root level, the behavior pattern is not changed. It's the same. So he says you must go to the depth and change the behavior pattern. A very poisonous tree, you cut it off, good. But roots are there. Another tree will sprout out of it. You are not liberated from that. So he wants, and he gave this technique, so that one can go to the depth of the mind, where one reacts with impurity, without knowing what is happening. The conscious mind is busy with outside objects, but deep inside, a reaction has started, a reaction of craving, a reaction of aversion, and then keeps on multiplying, multiplying. The habit pattern of reacting with craving and aversion is becoming stronger, stronger, stronger. That means your misery is becoming stronger, stronger, stronger. That is why his words become so clear. At the apparent level, it looks that I am miserable because of something which has happened outside. Some undesirable thing has happened outside. Some desirable has not happened outside. Somebody insulted me. Something has happened outside. Apparent truth. Actually, when something happens outside, you react at the depth of the mind, you generate sensations which are very unpleasant, and you start suffering with misery. Misery. You are responsible. If you learn not to react, Whatever happens outside, you are calm, you are quiet, free from misery. And then you act, not that Vipassana makes it inactive, very active, but no reaction. Whenever there is a reaction, a blind reaction, there is an element of negativity which makes one very unhappy. And not only makes one unhappy, makes others also unhappy. Whenever I react with anger or hatred or ill will, I become so miserable, yes, but I do not keep this misery limited to myself. I keep on throwing this misery on others. I make the entire atmosphere around me so tense. Anybody who comes in contact with me at that time becomes miserable. One starts realizing what sort of life, what I had been doing the whole life, making myself miserable, making others miserable. This is not the proper way of life. And by this technique, the practical way of spirituality, one starts living a real peaceful life, harmonious life, good for oneself, good for others. The law of nature becomes so clear. The universal law of nature is keep your mind pure. If you generate any defilement, any impurity in the mind, the nature will punish you. Punish you then and there, or we can say the God Almighty will punish us then and there. And if you keep the mind pure, we get rewards then and there. This is not because scripture says so, or because the Buddha said so, or your teacher says so, with your own experience. 
whenever I generate any defilement in the mind, I become so miserable. The defilement and the misery, they arise together. And whenever the defilement is gone, mind is pure, free from defilements, it starts generating love, compassion, goodwill. And when one generates love, compassion, goodwill, one experiences so much of peace, so much of harmony. Oh, one starts getting rewards, rewards from the nature, rewards from the God Almighty. This is the law of nature. Don't defile your mind, otherwise you will be punished. Keep your mind pure and you will be rewarded. The kingdom of heaven is within you and you start experiencing the peace and harmony of the kingdom of heaven. The hellfire is within you and out of ignorance you keep on generating this hellfire and keep on burning. You have to work out your own salvation. You have to work out your own liberation. An enlightened person will show, show the path. That's all. Every step you have to take yourself. And the whole path is so scientific. No blind faith is involved. You experience it, you accept it. You experience it, you accept it. And result oriented here and now. And that is why at the time of Buddha also, people from different traditions, different beliefs, different religions came flocking to Buddha, learned this technique and live peacefully. Even today we find there is no religion in the world, no religion in the world whose followers are not participating in Vipassana courses. The leaders of different religions are participating. Up till now more than 2,000 Christian priests and nuns have participated and every year 50 to 100 new keep coming, keep coming. In the same way Hindu leaders, Buddhist leaders, Muslim leaders, people from different community, not only ordinary lay people, householders, but their leaders are coming. Why? Because they find this is our religion. I remember the, the first group of uh, Christian missionary who came a very elderly mother, mother superior. At the end of the course she says, you are teaching Christianity in the name of Buddha. I am teaching the law of Dhamma. Buddha taught the law of Dhamma, law of nature, universal law of nature, which is applicable to everyone, which is good for everyone to understand and live that life. So that is why people are coming without any difficulty. Of course, you have to spare 10 days of your life, very valuable 10 days of your invaluable life. If you want peace just on the surface, many, of, many people, some of them my own students, they have taken one or two courses and started teaching one, one, going to take 10 days. Why 10 days? You are such a busy person. I will teach you within three days. Oh no, not three days, even one day I will teach you. Oh, not even one day, morning, two hours, three hours, evening, two hours, three hours, good enough. And the same technique I will give you. But yes, it gives peace. Even for few hours, if you keep your mind on the breath, good enough. But it is only on the surface of the mind. It won't take you to the depth of the mind where the behavior pattern is to be changed. So you have to spare 10 days of your life to learn this technique and then apply it in life and be happy the whole life, come out of the misery for the whole life. 
may all of you who have gathered this evening to understand at least at the intellectual level what is spirituality, what is the teaching of the Buddha, what is Vipassana, may all of you find time to learn this technique. Those who have already taken a 10-day course, may they continue to grow, grow in Dhamma and take more and more fruits of Dhamma. And those who have not taken 10 days, may spare 10 days of life and attain the best fruits of Dhamma. May all of you be happy, be peaceful, be liberated from all the miseries. Any questions? How much does a Vipassana course cost? Can you give the price? It is invaluable. Spirituality is invaluable. No price tag to be attached to spirituality and teaching of spirituality. The moment you start putting some price tag on it, the whole teaching becomes impure. It has to be given free. Even boarding and lodging for 10 days is free. At the end of the course, if a student feels that I, I attained so much peace and harmony and this is a path which is good for me and good for everybody, then one donates without anybody asking so that more and more people can get benefit of this. And like this, the wheel of Dhamma keeps on rotating. No charges, but still, as I said, one, one charge you have to give, you are 10 valuable days of the life, invaluable life. That charge you have to give for your good, for your benefit, and for the good of many others. What do you suggest for someone who can't attend a 10-day course? Get inspired by these talks and make up your mind and come. <laughs> you have to give the fees, and the fees is 10 days of your life. I feel myself to be happy. Why should I attend a 10-day course? To become happier? <laughs> Why remain stagnant there? You can be more happy. Make use of this technique to be more happy. And who knows, this happiness may not last. And when it goes away, you are so miserable. So avoid the misery of future. Learn this technique to avoid all miseries of the future. I practice Vipassana. How can I convince my parents to learn Vipassana? How can you convince? If your parents see that you have changed and your life pattern has changed, you are now a better son, a better daughter. You started serving your parents much lovingly. Then automatically they will get attracted. Well, there is something good. Say something good in this technique. This boy, this girl, such a big change has come. Change for better. This is how you can attract your parents. Serve your parents properly. This is your duty also, a part of spirituality. Serve your parents. Why Vipassana helps both prisoners and non-prisoners. 
I see nobody as a non-prisoner. Everyone is a prisoner. Those who are behind the walls are prisoners, yes. But others also, everyone is prisoner of one's own unwholesome behavior pattern deep inside and keeps on suffering because of this prison. When I started giving courses in the prisons, I told them you are suffering from two prisons. One prison is these walls which do not allow you to remain with your family. You miss all the comforts of your family life. Big, bigger prison is your prisoner of this unwholesome behavior pattern. I can help you to come out of that. And people start coming out of that. So whether you are within the walls or outside the walls, come out of this prison of the behavior pattern. If I do not react, how can I enjoy my life? <laughs> when you act, you will find you are enjoying your life so much. When you act, you act with a positive mind, peaceful mind, and it becomes more and more peaceful. Vipassana does not make you inactive. Your capacity to work increases, but in a positive way. And when you react, negativity is always there. Deep inside you started suffering. And as Buddha said, there are burning charcoals deep inside and layers of ashes over it. One remains deluded with this layer of ashes. Deep inside, you're burning, you're burning. And when you start realizing that, you want to come out of it, and you do come out of it. In modern times, people neglect their old parents. What is your advice? Modern times or ancient times, anybody who neglects the parents is far away from spirituality, far away from humanity, far away from Dhamma, from any religion. Just remember how they helped you, the mother keeping you in the womb for nine months, and what a suffering she had, and how lovingly she kept you. And then after that, both the parents kept on serving you, serving you. And now you reach the stage where you say, I'm self-dependent. I don't care about my parents. This is totally against spirituality, totally against Dhamma. You are harming yourself. If you become so very much selfish that you don't care even your parents, how will you care anybody else in the world? Whole life you will be a self-centered person, an ego-centered person. And you won't have any compassion, any love, any goodwill for anybody. And this means a miserable person. First important thing, serve your parents. And Buddha says, Mata Pitu Upatthanam. You have to take care of your elderly parents because they have served you so much. And if you start serving your parents, you will know how to serve others also. Is it possible to take anti-depressant medicine and practice vipassana. Why this medication? Meditation will help you. No medication is necessary. I am not against the doctors who are giving these kinds of medicines. I don't want their business to get stopped. But it doesn't help. You can suppress your mental misery to some extent. But you can't eradicate it from the root level. And here's a technique. 
which helps you to eradicate all such miseries, miseries of depression easily. I remember perhaps it was my third or fourth course coming from Myanmar to India, I started teaching and a very rich person of Mumbai, a very big industrialist, he was in deep depression. Twice he tried to commit suicide, somehow he was saved and when somebody said there is a technique which will help you to come out of depression, he came within 10 days, he was totally out of it. Why? No magic, no miracle. I have no supernatural powers to help people to come out of depression. The technique is such. As Buddha said, nothing can arise in the mind without a sensation on the body. So accept the fact, at this moment there is depression in my mind. Depression due to this or due to that, nothing doing. Depression as depression. You accept the fact. And there must be some sensation on the body. Whatever sensation you have at that time in the body, anywhere, just start observing. If you practice Vipassana, you can observe it objectively, observe, observe. It becomes weaker, weaker, it cannot overpower you. The depression becomes weaker, weaker, it cannot overpower you. And from the root level, it is eradicated. Hundreds of such people who are suffering from depression, they come to the courses and easily they come out of this disease not necessary to suppress it, eradicate it. Can you explain the time frame of 10 days? What is the significance? Why we ask people to come for 10 days, day and night, live there? Because continuity of the practice is the secret of success. You keep on continuing working, continuing working, then only you change your habit pattern. Initially it may look little difficult, not to everybody, but some people they met, they might face certain difficulties, the body will revolt, what you are doing now, I want to do this, do that. The mind will revolt, what you are doing, you want to keep me only on one object, nothing, I want to do this. But very soon you start enjoying and it becomes easy. So when you are continuously, continuously, continuously working on it, this helps you to go to the depth of the mind. This helps you to purify your mind at the deepest level. And this is what Vipassana is needed, needs it. How does Vipassana help you to deal with your fears? The same thing. A fear, fear for the future. Always worried, what will happen to me? What will happen to my children? What will happen to my business? What will happen to my, my means of livelihood? Etc., etc., fear fear of the future. Anything that arises in the mind arises with a sensation on the body. And if you remain ignorant to these sensations, your fear keeps on multiplying. With the fear, there is a sensation. And with the sensation, the fear grows. You keep on reacting with fear. Fear, sensation, fear, sensation, sensation, fear. A vicious circle has started. You become so miserable. If you learn how to observe the sensation when the fear is there, you start coming out of it. The habit pattern of fear goes away. You are fearless and you can face every situation in the life. How does Vipassana reduce blood pressure? What blood pressure? Such tension, stress and strain within you. And this technique makes your mind so calm, so tranquil, so peaceful. 
and the body also becomes calm, peaceful, this high blood pressure question automatically goes away. Can be a person help with brain injury? Well, what sort of injury one has to see? Wherever it is necessary to consult a doctor, consult a specialist, nothing wrong, do that. But if it is a psychosomatic disease, without any difficulty, Vipassana will cure you. If it is a pure physical disease, then also let the doctor give you medicines, etc. At the same time, you find you are keeping your mind equanimous, equanimous. So whatever treatment is given by the doctor gives better results, quicker results. It is always helpful. I am having trouble trying to talk to people with extreme political views. How do you react to people who want to argue when you want to discuss? Those who want to argue understand they are generating, they are generating tension within themselves. They are generating impurities. Miserable people. Have compassion on them. Just have compassion. Don't argue yourself. Explain in a very patiently way. If somebody understands, very good. If somebody doesn't understand, smilingly say goodbye. But don't keep on arguing. That won't help you. Would you consider giving a 10-day course to our world leaders? <laughs> world leaders are welcome. <laughs> our gates are open for them, as it is open for everybody. They are also miserable, very miserable. A number of political leaders who are ruling the country, they have started coming. Six members of the cabinet in Maharashtra state government are Vipassana meditators, one in the central government, and a number of member of parliaments and member of legislative assemblies, they are coming. They start realizing now that although we are ruling, but still we are very miserable. And when we are away from the chair and we don't rule, then we are again miserable. We want that. We want to be on the chair. And if we are on the chair, we want to stick to the chair. Misery, misery, nothing but misery. And with Vipassana, they start changing their habit pattern. I am here to serve the people, whether on the chair or out of the chair makes no difference. I have to serve my people and that keeps them very happy. People are realizing it. Not only the politicians, but those who are executives, government executives, administrators, they also live a very tense life. By this technique, they find they are coming out of tension. Now certain governments like government of Maharashtra, government of uh, Andhra, some governments in India, they have issued notifications that any government officer can go to a Vipassana course, he or she will get 14 days leave with pay because they find such a big change comes. Their capacity to work increases. They give good results. Mind is calm, tranquil, a problem has come. You go immediately to the depth of the problem and get a solution. So quick quick decisions and right decisions, it helps the administration. So also business executives, now they have started coming in India quite a large. Here in the West, now there was this conference 
of the executives or the business executive for spirituality, but it is good for everyone, especially the leaders of the society. Everything good or bad percolates from the top and moves down to the masses. If the top is miserable, the whole masses will become miserable. So this is good for every leader, political leader, commercial leader, industrial leader or administrative leader. What is the proper balance between meditation and service and working to earn one's own livelihood? Both should be there. You are householders, as I am householder. Householders have responsibility to earn money honestly with every good effort. But see that by earning money, you don't generate your ego. You don't inflate your ego. I am such a wonderful person. Look, I am a millionaire. I am a multimillionaire. I am a billionaire. I am one inch taller than everybody else. Then you are harming yourself. You become so tense. But if you keep on understanding, the money that comes to me comes from the pocket of the consumers. So I get money from the society. So whatever I earn, this society has a share in that. I have to use some portion, reasonable portion of my earning for the good of the people, for the benefit of the people, to serve the people, then your earning is good. Your way of earning also is helpful to you and helpful to the others. So Dhamma gives a proper way in every, every sector of the society to live in a peaceful way, harmonious way. What does we meditate on when there is no more breath, that is at the time of death? You won't come and question me when you are at the time of death. It's finished. But while you are alive, make use of your life, a happy life, a peaceful life, a harmonious life, good for you and good for others. Forget what happens after death. If the present life is good, Whatever comes in the future will automatically be good. The future is the product of the present. So try to make the present good. Don't worry about the future. I have health problems that do not allow me to sit for long periods. When you come to the course, the teacher, the guide will help you and uh, guide you how easily and without much pain you can practice. If you can't sit on the floor, they will allow you to sit on the chair. You can't sit in this particular posture, not necessary, any posture that suits you, you won't find difficulty. Who is the I that can describe the mind, that can discipline the mind? The I who is not able to master the mind. This is what you will learn. Don't accept because your teacher says who is I or your scripture says who is I. Know thyself is the advice of every seer, saint and sage of the past. But how to know thyself? By own experience. And this is what the technique is. The technique is technique of self-realization, truth-realization. You are experiencing the truth about yourself and you will know what is this physical structure to which I keep on saying I, I, mine, mine. And what is this mental structure to which one keeps on saying, I, I, mine, mine. 
and generates tremendous amount of attachment towards it and becomes miserable. And is there anything beyond mind and matter? You have to experience and then only accept it. Can someone who is taking prescription medicine take the 10-day course? Certainly, the teacher will tell you there are certain medicines which won't allow your awareness to arise. It will make the mind dull. Then the teacher will say, reduce it or stop it. There are certain medicines which don't go against Vipassana. The teacher will allow it to, to take it. I am a Shiastu therapist and I'm drawn to helping others out of their pain. Is this against the Vipassana technique? Oh no, whatever you are doing to help others is good. We are not against it. But understand, there are different kinds of helping people in a spiritual way where artificial vibration is thrown on the student. And if this person is a Vipassana meditator, sometimes there is a clash because Vipassana wants you to observe your own natural vibrations. When you are angry, what kind of vibration? When there is passion, what kind of vibration? When there is fear, what kind of vibration? And you are working to observe that and remain equanimous and hear some outside artificial vibration, a created vibration comes in and there is a clash which gives sound. So if you are doing any kind of uh, practice of unnatural artificial vibration, carry on if it helps others, very good, we are not against that. But don't mix up the two. Mixing will not be helpful. It might harm. How do you define sexual misconduct? Sex is necessary for bio-reproduction. Nature wants it, nothing wrong. But don't become sex maniac. Otherwise, from one to the other, to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth, you know balance. If there is relationship with only one person, then with this practice you will find the sex will become more and more disciplined. And even if you have sex relation, nothing wrong, you will enjoy it, but you won't become mad after it. You won't have attachment towards it. If you are having this madness, all the time running after sex, running after sex, you are a miserable person. And when you see the reality within yourself, you will start understanding. Look how I, am, how I am harming myself and harming others also. My religion teaches that my devotion in God will secure my salvation. Why then should I purify my mind? God helps those who help themselves. You don't want to help yourself and you want to do everything the God to do for you. Then why you earn money? God will do. Why you eat? God will put morsel in your mouth. Know you how to work. And yes, then you will get all the help from all the invisible superpowers. But you have to work. Still you have to work to purify your mind for your good, for your benefit and the good and benefit of so many others. What are the dangers of attempting to learn Vipassana without teaching? Yes, for one first ten days it is always advisable to work under an experienced person. If you take a wrong step, 
this is the operation of the mind, very serious work you are doing. Deep operation of your mind, certain impurities start coming up on the surface and you don't know how to deal it properly, it might lead you to more miseries. One ten days if you learn the technique properly, then you are your own master, never remain under the clutches of a guru, otherwise the gurus will keep on exploiting you, don't allow that. You, Dhamma teaches you to be self-dependent, but learn the technique properly with somebody who has experience of the path. Good? Good.